Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. In in these situations, Karen, we're looking for a good enough outcome. We're not gonna have optimal outcomes. That's just not going to happen here typically. But if we've got one parent that gets this, that can separate, that can keep the kids out of the middle, that can give them a sense of I'm okay when I'm here and I get my needs met and I can communicate and we can learn the skills that I'm going to need as an adult, we're going to reach a good enough outcome. And good enough is good enough. Welcome to All Things Parenting, where we introduce you to experts who share proven approaches to parenting, co-parenting, and step-parenting that we were never taught and need now more than ever. Parenting is one of the most important and difficult roles we take on. And even with married parents, it's by no means an easy job. Divorcing parents are faced with the added trauma of divorce, the overwhelming exhaustion from single parenting, the wide-ranging, thorny challenges of co-parenting, and the monumental effort needed when you enter into a blended family with hers, his, ours, and all the exes. We need rock-solid skills, approaches, guidance, and support, and that's what All Things Parenting is designed to offer. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Parenting. Your post-divorce and survive the chaotic, complex, and oftentimes hostile and overwhelming divorce process. You thought you would be free, feel better, be less triggered and engaged with your ex. But you have kids together and some days it feels like nothing's changed except that you're living under separate rooms. How can you successfully co-parent with a high-conflict individual when there's so much that continues to trigger you? The answer lies in understanding and evolving your behavior. Today's guest is one of the best experts I have found in the field of parallel parenting or high-conflict co-parenting. Brooke Olson is the founder of the High Conflict Diversion Program, author of The Black Hole of High Conflict, and hosts the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast. I think he's the best out there, and I'm very excited to have you back for another conversation. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you for having me back, Karen. I really enjoy these conversations that we have. Yeah, yeah, and what you do is so incredible. Um, and, and let's just start right in the beginning. The first time I met you, everyone refers to parallel parenting, and you had high-conflict co-parenting um, as the title of your podcast. So let's just start with your perspective on this co-parenting challenge. Well, I, I think that... <clears throat> Oftentimes, like you were saying, people have this notion that when we get out of um, these marriages or these relationships, that there's going to be um, a calm, that we're going to be able to have some autonomy and that we're going to get to live our lives the way that we want to live our lives. And the way the high conflict personalities work don't really readily allow us to do that. And... On top of that, there's a perception in the legal world, in the therapeutic world, that um, we have to get along, that we have to co-parent. And that notion with high-conflict personalities just doesn't function. As a matter of fact, it makes everything worse because right. there's always been a power differential in, in these um, relationships. And that power differential continues post-separation. So unless 
we can escape that gravity, we're going to be stuck in that orbit forever. So the the notion of parallel parenting is something that was brought forward a decade or so ago. And I bought into that notion really super early on because what I found is that even in relationships and divorces where there was an okay divorce, there's still anger and there's still resentment that hasn't been processed and grief that hasn't been processed yet. So even in those situations to try to come and talk to one another and be on the same page is initially pretty difficult. So this notion of parallel parenting to me is a do no harm model and it is a subset of co-parenting. Right. So people are looking for autonomy. And if they can get some autonomy and get on with their lives, then they can oftentimes come back and co-parent really well. But for the high conflict personality, that's probably never going to happen. Right. So setting the stage with the parallel parenting and setting really super good boundaries in terms of how I'm going to do what I do, how I'm going to move forward with my parenting of our children, is my job and it's my job to do the absolute best job that I can. So to understand what really good parenting really is, which I found over the years, a lot of parents just don't know. And how would you, right? All you know is what you came from. So it's not like we get trained, which is one of the things I love about what you do, because I feel like what I understand about your program is that you actually teach people how to parent as well as parallel parent. Right. And that um, that process is an individual process. And if you're trying to take information from somebody that you don't like, that doesn't like you, and you're trying to come together and do it the same way, you don't like the way they do it because if you did, you wouldn't be in this situation. So I think a lot of where people have to get to, Karen, is um, an acceptance, an awareness and acceptance of what they are in and stop trying to swim against the tide, to step in and go, this is my state. This is what I have to deal with. Now, somebody, please, educate me on how to do this differently. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say that one of the challenges I find with my clients is there's such a, there's such a huge statement out there about how you, you, you know, if you're a good parent, you're going to be an amicable co-parent. And, and, and certainly in your garden variety divorce, it makes so much sense that you're going to make every effort to do that. And many people can, but for the person who's been in that power imbalance and who might have been for years or decades, you know, belittled and berated and um, really broken down. Now they finally go through the divorce and they're told, well, if you don't amicably co-parent, then you're bad. And if society isn't saying it, the high conflict personality is saying it. And so it's so vitally important to have the voice that you bring to this conversation, because that's going to help um, help that that co-parent who could do it well on their own, but actually needs to be given permission that that's okay, which is what I'm hearing you say. It's not only okay, it's vital. Yeah. And the the understanding of good parenting is at the core of that. And people that are in high conflict situations, oftentimes there's one parent that has an authoritarian autocratic parenting style. And the counteraction of that is a permissive parenting style. And both Parenting styles are horrible parenting styles. They lead to 
um, entitlement with their children and they lead to aggressive, secretive um, children on the other side of it. So the understanding that an authoritative parenting style is what it needs to be aimed at, which is something that is a secure attachment type of, of parenting has to come into the conversation. And we're looking in, in these situations, Karen, we're looking for a good enough outcome. We're not going to have optimal outcomes. That's just not going to happen here typically. But if we've got one parent that gets this, that can separate, that can keep the kids out of the middle, that can give them a sense of I'm okay when I'm here and I get my needs met and I can communicate and we can learn the skills that I'm going to need as an adult, we're going to reach a good enough outcome. And good enough is good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So where does one start? I mean, let's say, you know, enter stage left is this um, very heart centered, did their best to make it a child centric divorce. But they're um, they've got their wounds, their their um, dysregulation, their triggers, their fears. And they're the they're the more likely uh, to be healthy and helpful parent, how do you how do you take that person and begin to guide them into the path that they need to be on? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a layered approach, and I think the first one of the first things that that people in this arena need to be able to do is to enter into a therapeutic environment and start to understand how they got to where they got. The problem with that is in this arena is we've got to be really super careful because um, many therapists, most therapists, don't really understand the high conflict personalities from a clinical standpoint. They were schooled in it. They um, have some kind of book learning about it, but they don't have a practicum of working with it. So they don't understand viscerally the dynamic that's there. And then on top of that, they don't understand the court situation that these people are in. And that's where the worlds collide. Yeah. So they've got to be working with somebody that understands kind of both ends of that. And I think this is where the coach comes in. This is where a really good coach comes in, where, you know, that coach understands what the courts are looking at and doing. They understand what the um, psychological components are and understands how to, to kind of thread that needle in creating the boundaries of a parallel parenting model. And... On top of all of that, they need to have an attorney that's educated in this arena as well. So that coach is going to be able to, to meld these worlds together and, and guide you through the storm of what this whole thing really is, to be able to anchor you and, and to get you into a place where your nervous system trusts the process yeah and i'm hearing that um i mean out of just what you said two foundational uh components are boundaries and expectations right yeah let's talk a little bit about those your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. 
If you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG and register today. are probably the biggest problem right off the get-go. People in high-conflict um, situations, my statement to most of my clients is, is you're here because you do not have good boundaries. You don't understand boundaries and you don't know how to hold them. And that is a, a, a sense of... This is, what I, this is what I think about this, Karen. People are not good at being uncomfortable. And they want out of their discomfort as fast as they can get out of that discomfort. And when somebody applies pressure to them, they give because to hold that boundary is uncomfortable. Nobody taught them how to do it. You know, if you don't, if you're not amicable, you are bad. And we're Mm -hmm. taught not to have good boundaries as children. And we get run over and run over. So we're used to getting run over. And then when we hold a boundary, it's scary. The nervous system lights up and we're just going, oh, I can't do it. So um, understanding no, teaching people how to say no in a respectful, non-aggressive way, in a neutral way, it's just no is no. And I don't have to get nasty to say no. I just get to say no. And to teach them that also is a process of teaching them how to sit in their discomfort. Mm. That's a great point. And it's so true, because if you think about it, you've been run over 100 times. So you're clearly experiencing discomfort. But the decision to to bring it on yourself by saying no and dealing with the onslaught actually is different. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that they have to understand that the discomfort is there anyway. Right. That they're going to get run over and that's uncomfortable. So now we're just changing the discomfort and learning how to sit in it. Um, a, a, a thought or that, that arc of that discomfort is, is a limited time. It not it's not going to last forever. It's intense, but it has an arc. And if if you can navigate that arc of discomfort, you come into settling. That's how our nervous systems work. They go from sympathetic activation into parasympathetic um, deactivation, and it and it's a it's how the nervous systems work. And if we are willing to run that cycle, our heart rates up, our breath is tight, our face is red, and we're all in it, that dissipates. And then we sit in, oh, that worked. The problem with the high conflict personality that we're dealing with is, is they're coming at us again because we didn't engage with them or we didn't do that. And we have to learn how to do this over and over and over and over and over again until that boundary is established. I think that's such an important piece of it. And even in the early stages, when I talk to people about like, when you say that you want a divorce, it's not a one and done. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, you're going to say that over and over again until, you know, it locks in. Now you're post-divorce. And I think that I find that um, that holding the boundary is where people often uh, misunderstand how it works. Like I set a boundary, holding it means I keep telling you, I set that boundary, I set that boundary, I set that boundary. You're you're blowing it up, and and they don't understand. Can you talk a little bit about how do you guide your parents in? understanding that shift to actually holding your boundary and and what that means. So I have rules for my parents. They started out with three and now they're five. The three distinct rules that people um, identify with my program is disengage, disengage, disengage. 
The two that I added to that were the first one that comes before that is orientation. Look around, understand that you're in a place where you're okay and your nervous system can understand that I'm okay. And that's just by looking around and being present for yourself. The second rule is don't just do something, sit there. Again, <laughs> allowing the system to regulate. And then we go into the disengagement protocols. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But as we're coming into the boundary conversation, I don't have to say it over and over and over again. I might say it once or twice, and then I don't say anything because I've already said it. I've stepped back. They know where I sit. And I don't have to interact with them. And, and the whole idea of that is that when I interact with them, I get caught in the high conflict cycle. I'm drawn in and my energy is food for them. Yes. They're looking for my engagement. That's their control factor. And when I don't step into that, they lose control over me. They may get more aggressive, but that's ultimately going to be a problem for them. And to paraphrase Napoleon, when your opponent is making mistakes, let them. So I think in this point, this is an interesting point, because I, I would say um, the, the, the pushback that you might get is, yeah, but he or she is saying these terrible things and not just to me, but now he or she is telling the kids. And so there's this this play that happens like I have to engage. I have to do something about it. So can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah, because you don't. What somebody else thinks of me is none of my business. That's their problem. I don't have to meet them in that. I know who I am. I know what I do and my actions speak for myself. My ah, and if you don't, if you don't know who you are, know what you do, then that actually informs that therapeutic work that you have to do. Right. right? So if you're not standing in that place of I'm confident in who I am and what I'm doing, that's where it could one of the places that could start breaking apart. For sure. But, I, you know, even in that, even in the instability of I'm not sure in self in this conversation. Mm -hmm. We do have a notion of our actions, how we are with other. And we have a historical reference of, no, I didn't do that. No, that's not what I'm doing. This is gaslighting. The truth is, I know what the truth is, and I can just sit in that. And, and the other piece of that is... What I teach my clients is to listen. And if this information is coming in and it's pinging you, there's a possibility that there's something in there that I need to look at. So let's look at that. And if it needs corrected, correct it. If it's not there, there's nothing to be not done. Right. So... I don't have to react to it. And in, in, in either case, I don't have to react to it. I can simply take action on my own end and make the correction. Or if there's no correction to be made, I do nothing. And I still don't have to have that communication. I don't have to have the engagement with the other parent. I'm creating the distance and I'm creating the boundary. So and I just in my in my mind's eye, I see this kind of flailing, chaotic, loud temper tantrum going on with one and then the other parent kind of saying no and then sitting quietly mm -hmm. um, and just letting the storm pass, which at some point the storm will pass, even if it comes back, you know, over and over again. Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole process of disengagement 
is, is one of growing into um, being solid in self in it. You know, the first the first disengagement is kind of a white knuckle job. You know, the the storm's coming at me, and I'm just I don't know how to do this. There's a level of incompetence to it, unconscious incompetence to it. And um, we're learning how to become competent in the process of disengagement. And, and it's not a linear piece. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to I'm going to fall down the manhole multiple times before I walk around the manhole. So. As as our listeners are going through this, um, they have to have patience with themselves. They have to be willing to. Um, be kind with themselves as they make the mistakes that they're ultimately going to make. But again, you know, working with a good coach allows them the reflection of the moment that they're in and what they're dealing with and to get the reinforcement to hold the line the next time. Yeah. What was it that got you off of your protocols? Yes. Oh, Okay. And, and, and again, what I like to do with this, Karen, is utilize somatic awareness as the driving force in so much of this. And I think people are so often not in their body when they're in their amygdala. And so talk a little bit about the value of, of, of having them reconnect with their body. So... When the amygdala gets hijacked, as it does in these in these processes, there's a somatic fight flight that comes on. There is an activation in the nervous system that takes us out of the the cognitive process that the prefrontal cortex provides. So, to me, the link between the two is the somatic experience. This is where the um, orientation and the don't just do something, sit there component comes in. And, and that's just a tool to be aware that I'm in panic here. And I my, my system is revving. And in no case or in a very minuscule case, is there anything that needs to be done in the moment? So your your guidance is it's there, it's uncomfortable, notice it and be with it. Right. And allow that amygdala to release so you can come into the the cognitive process of is there something that I need to do here and the answer ultimately is no there's nothing for me to do here right and, and, and then yet, I can get along with my life absolutely and yet it's like if if he or she just sent a text or an email or is on the phone or outside the reaction is like it's before you're even thinking right because you're not even accessing that frontal cortex you're you're engaging like that's that's so natural right that's 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 what you're trying to break is that engagement before you stop to have awareness and 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 reconnect with your body right and and the window the window into making the shift is the awareness that I'm lit up Mm -hmm. And and when we've been in these processes for years, it's habitual. Yes. And what we're trying to do is break that patterning because there is there's a whole chemical um, sequence that happens within our body that brings us into that engagement. And it's addictive. Adrenaline yeah. is addictive. And we're breaking an addiction as well. And it's like, I have to know that the next movement that I make is going to be problematic. And to not make that move is, again, that sensation that is uncomfortable. 
And, and my experience is that so often people who end up in intimate relationship with a high conflict personality kind of came from a childhood where they developed coping mechanisms, those habits that you're talking about. So they're coping mechanisms that really serve them well as children to stay somewhat protected. They've brought into this high conflict relationship, they're divorced. And, and so these habits can really be many decades old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we got here because we lived here. We developed, <laughs> we developed in this cocoon, right? Right. But, the, but there's something else that I think is important for your listeners to, to grab a hold of in this is that the other parent with this high conflict personality developed that as a coping mechanism as well. They developed in this cocoon as well. And to de-demonize that and understand that they are just doing what they learned how to do in their own survival. And, and I think if we can get to that point at some point, that the releasing of the high conflict and, and our, our engagement in it right. is decreased immensely, dramatically. I just love that you said that. I think one of the things I'm having the hardest time with um, in this field is how demonized um, the high conflict personality is. And it's like, you know, to say that it's displeasing and sometimes utterly displeasing to be in relationship with them makes sense. But they're human beings who found themselves here, right? Whether it's through um, mental health issues, trauma, um, you know, however they were raised. And so when I no longer demonize and see, see that person as this like evil, horrible individual, what does that do for me? It, it releases you from... There's there's a level of forgiveness that comes into that. Compassion arises from that. And that doesn't mean that I go, oh, poor them, and I have to be okay, and I have to work with them, and I've got to help them. Hell no. That's not it. But it's that place of understanding that there is a torment within that person that is driving that behavior. And all they're really looking for is connection that they don't know how to find. Beautifully and said. I'm not going to be that connection. Yes. I'm not going to be that negatively, that negative intimacy that they're searching for. I'm going to disengage from that. I'm going to let them go find that somewhere else. I'm going to let them go do their therapy. I'm going to let them find it or not. But what I'm doing in this parallel parenting model that we're talking about is I am making sure that the children are getting their needs met in a way that maybe I didn't get my needs met, that the other parent didn't get their needs met. And, and it's interesting because there's this kind of parallel parenting that's going on internally between the child and the parent, because if we're doing this work, if we're learning how to parent in this way, there's an internal parenting that we're doing as an adult. To ourselves. Teacher, yeah, to ourselves, because we're learning new skill sets and those, those internal parts that got left behind there are waking up to going, wait, there's something else different. And there's, there's a, attachment, a secure attachment that's happening internally as we're creating that for our children. There's a reflection that happens there. Yeah. So I, I think, um, or I'm interpreting this as like, if you've, whatever you were raised in, right, um, there's going to be 
self-criticism and self-condemnation. And certainly if you've been living with a high conflict person for a while, like maybe your parents' voices in your head, now their voices in your head, now, now you're just doing it to yourself. And so I'm hearing you say that as you learn how to parent healthier, um, part of it is that internal parenting of that, of that wounded child that you were and, and that, that there's this, subtle or maybe not so subtle shift that happens internally as you're growing and learning in this new way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for great progress in our, in our own healing. And as we disengage from the other parents noise, we get to be more present for ourselves. And when we're more present for ourselves, we're more present for our children. And that's that's the aim here, is to take them out of the middle and give them a sense of life's good here, because life is good. You know, Brooke, I love this conversation. I think there's so many places we could go with it. I'm going to throw an idea on the table, um, and that is... Um, for me, one of one of my deep desires is to support my clients in breaking generational chains and so that their children are raised differently. And as as young adults or as they become adults, that they um, they begin to shift behaviors that may be many generations in. Can can we talk a little bit about the impact, the kind of um, parent training you do can have on breaking those generational chains. This is the goal, right? Yeah. And when we break the generational chains, we break them in both directions. What do you mean? We're not just setting up the world into the future. We're clearing out the past. Mm-hmm. As we're breaking the as we're breaking the generational chains, we're having a deeper understanding of the pain that our parents went through and the pain that their parents went through. And we're releasing that energy out of the DNA. And as we pursue, as, as, as we push this process forward, we're giving our children that sense of secure attachment that we didn't have, that our parents didn't have, that their parents didn't have because of the autocratic or the permissive or the uninvolved parenting that they witnessed. And and we're also clearing that out internally in the present moment. We're changing the expression, the epigenetic expression of our own DNA. Wow. And as we change that expression, we're changing that for our children. We're giving them a different template. And that template is going to give our children the opportunity to be in healthier relationships because they're going to understand and have a sense of what that actually looks like and a knowing of what an unhealthy relationship looks like as well. So their decision-making and partners changes. In a healthy way. In a healthy yeah. way. And then yeah. they come together in a healthy relationship with a healthy, healthy parenting style, and that creates the next generation and so on. But there has to be a continuing education through all of this. So our children actually understand what the hell we were doing and how we got there. And that's through our conversations with them. That's that's what the authoritative model is about. It's about problem solving together and taking these young minds and mapping them in a way that is inclusive. But what I love about this conversation and everyone, uh, if, if you would avoid sitting in your discomfort um, and just continue to engage and not protect yourself, this conversation of what you would be doing by becoming a healthy 
co-parent in a high conflict situation. This is this is benefiting your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. So if you I almost want to say, like, if you can't do it for yourself, then do it because the long term impact is just so powerful and positive. But you can't not do it for yourself and have that movement. No, exactly. But I, I, I think that if the motivating thing, right, because so many I know so many of my clients have that codependent piece. So it's like if you can't if you're not ready to do it for yourself, for me, I actually left my marriage more because I knew it was so bad for my kids, whereas I had such a high pain tolerance and I was so unhealthy, I would have stayed. So it drove me in the direction of then getting healthy. And that's what I'm saying here is if you can't do it for yourself, if you're you're likely to not, this conversation about the impact it has on many generations to come um, should fuel your, your action in this direction. And, and what's beautiful about that, Karen, is... As as our clients start to see this unfold, they more often than not see the shifts in their children and how they come into um, their own settling. Yeah. You know, what we see a lot in the children of high conflict divorces is levels of ADHD and ODD and all of these expressions. And what I find is, is that's a, that's a manifestation of parenting. And when the cycle is broken and there's one parent that is, that is getting this down, that is doing the parallel parenting model, that is settling their own system, and they understand the authoritative parenting style, these manifestations start to dissipate. They may mm -hmm. not fully disappear, but they dissipate. And this expression that we see so often in children about the opposition the oppositional defiant um diagnosis which i think is just bs is just an expression of that child not getting a need met right. you know my good friend susie walton who is one of the top parent educators that i trained under 20 years ago um made a statement of a child that's acting out is a child that's not getting a need met. Yeah. And when we come in and we start to understand the need is for connection yeah. and the need is to be heard and honored and respected, just like we all need, then that child's experience changes and the manifestation of their behavior changes. So I think that, so many will look at a child's behavior and say it's bad behavior. But what I hear you saying is bad behavior is a, a cry for assistance and getting a need met. And when you slow it down and um, go through a process of understanding your child's needs and meeting them, that behavior begins to melt away. Right. Right. Because there's connection. And we live in a world that moves so fast. And as adults, we're pretty narcissistic in our own realm. We're looking at our needs and our need for space and time and all of that. And when we begin to look at parenting from a different standpoint as a pleasurable endeavor, as a joyful endeavor, our time with our children is not a chore. It's an opportunity to really be engaged in our life and the joy that is available with the connection with that child. And when we've been in this arena of high conflict and we've come from a place of not having our needs met, 
we might not really fully understand what connection is about. As a matter of fact, most people in this arena don't. You know, when we look at secure attachment, most people in this arena are on one side or the other of that, either an avoidant or an anxious preoccupied place. We don't understand what connection is. And this isn't about using our children as a place to find that because that's not the right move. Right. You know, it's not our kid's job to teach us how to be connected because that's a meshment. But the organic outcome of that is we find that secure attachment internally and that gets reflected outside. And that's the joy that comes along with this piece of being a parent. And growing healthier children than we were. Yeah. Love that. We're we're not um we're not relegated to this disaster for our lives. We can really change that and for ourselves and for our children. You know, I know there's a million things we could talk about. Can you um if you have any last words of wisdom, and then I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your program, because I think you have a pretty amazing program that our listeners could benefit from. Well, you know, the, the thing that I would say to, to the listeners here today, Karen, are really, um, really taking the time to understand the complex that you're in because it is complex and that you have to be really discerning about where you go to get the help to be with people like yourself and the coaches that you have to understand the progression of all of this and and to have somebody holding your hand, this is something that you can't do yourself. If you yeah. think you can do this yourself, you're going to be trapped here and you're not going to get out. Yeah. But to have that help and to relax into the terror that you're experiencing, just relax into it. Steer into it. Don't avoid it. It is your guide if you can tolerate it. And the the, the classes that I have, the high conflict co-parenting classes that I have, are, are foundational, I think, in taking my students, my clients through understanding high conflict, understanding the personalities, understanding what they're in and what the general courts do with this stuff. And then taking into account your own histories and how you got there, how your nervous system functions. Fundamentally, I truly believe that conflict is an internal state that manifests externally because we get triggered. And if we can understand that mechanism and we can work through that, that's something that is foundational in dealing with everything that comes along with this. And working with a good therapist has to be a part of what you do. And if you don't do that, you're missing a crucial part. And then parenting. Parenting, 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 parenting takes you away from the fight and it puts your attention and your energies where it belongs. And then self-care. How can our listeners find you? Um, we've got multiples now. Um, highconflict.net is my website and um, there all our resources are available through there 
Um, we've got the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast that we are coming up on five years of doing weekly. There's tons of information in there, probably more than anybody can digest, more than I can digest for sure. And um, we've got our High Conflict Co-Parenting classes that are available. I do coaching work as well. And again, all of those resources are available through our website at highconflict.net. Beautiful. Well, I'm just going to reiterate that um, I talk to a lot of people and Brooke is really, um, you know, top shelf in this area. And so take a look, take a listen, uh, check out his his site, his podcast and the resources. They'll all be in the show notes. So you didn't have to remember all of that. Just take a look and uh, and keep that journey of of growth going because it's going to be great for you. It's vital for your children, your grandchildren, et cetera. And Brooke, thank you so much for spending time with us, sharing your wisdom and guidance. It's been a just great conversation. Karen, thank you so much for having me back. This is always pleasurable. And we'll be back again real soon with another episode of All Things Parenting. So you take care. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated regulating your emotional reactions and it's been really helpful yet you know you could do better be better and you're wanting and needing more support that's where our coaching service is a game changer we're here for you when you need us the most ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips guiding and supporting you to be more effective our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.